0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals and building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry's best practice. I am Kerrigan from Evolution Recruitment and today I'm your host. Today's podcast we focus on the year of EPR, where you will hear us delving into the full life cycle of every aspect of this. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official positions all policies of their organisation. And I'd like to go in with introducing who we have with us today. If I can come to you first, please, Charlotte, just
1: introduce yourself for us. Thanks, Carrigan. Hi, I'm Charlotte Scott, and I'm Executive General Manager for
2: Meditech UK. Thank you very much. And over to you, please, Jackie. I'm Jackie Allen-Free, so I'm a Programme Director, um, mainly focused on EPR and paper-free within the NHS. Thank you so much. And last but not least, come to yourself, please, Jason.
3: Yeah, Jason Bradley. I'm a digital consultant and uh, in the context for today doing a lot of work uh, helping organizations with their EPR programs
0: amazing thank you so much um really really um, glad to have you all involved today so thank you for taking the time to, to join us on this podcast um i think there's going to be a lot to talk about um within this topic so i think we'll just go with a nice open question and as broad as it may be but in terms of an epr where where do you start
3: yeah if i come in there um I think starting for me with the business case and uh, not thinking that uh, initially as a technical exercise, it is for your organization. Um, what What is the case uh, you want to make? What is the strategic direction of the organization? What are the requirements? Uh, linking that and very helpfully at the moment to the, the national agenda uh, with obviously frontline digitization trying to get everybody up to uh, a, a good level of EPR deployment and usage, which is great to see. Um, I think it's key initially to get your organisation on board. So thinking particularly for uh, Acute Trust, the exec team and the trust board, are they are they behind you? Are they with you? Um, are they going to support you on what is quite a long journey to, to get through uh, the business case, the procurement and through to, deployment uh and uh, probably most importantly of all are the potential users on board your clinical teams your operational teams uh is this what they want and usually it is that the ambition is there to, to make the the best use of technology um so i think they're they're the sort of jumping on points and uh, then you get into the detail of actually building uh the business case and uh, we were talking the other day about my linkedin post about all the acronyms all the hoops you have to to jump through all those bits of technical detail to actually build your business case and then get ready to to come out and talk to the market
1: i think i think certainly from from outside the nhs the supplier side is it's important to make sure that the right stakeholders as you say jason are on board you know it's not it's not just digital it's not just clinical it, it's the whole the whole raft of, of stakeholders to be involved from the start as well um, Determining, as you say, the scope, what's included, what's not, and, and really the digital aspiration, as albeit, you know, bringing that word digital, but, uh, but it crosses everybody, um, because without everybody on board from the start, um, then, you know, it, it, making sure that it, it drives forward with everybody on board, and we can say that we've agreed from this point. And everyone's on the same page.
2: I think for me, Kerrigan, it's the change, the transformation and the change. And I think you bring the change in, or most trusts bring the change in too too late. Um, When you're doing transformational change like this, you you get a lot of people asking why. They're comfortable in their own skin using the system that they use. Um, But digital has evolved. And the way that we treat our patients digitally as well has evolved, how we can pass the patient care on to our colleagues without the need for paper, without the need for, you know, moving that through clunky old systems, etc. So, I think, you know, an EPR in today's modern society, it works whether you're in, you know, your primary care to your secondary care, and, and that's the the uh, benefits that we see for our patients. So, I think changing benefits is, is one of the primary aspects, but I do think the idea of change has to come at the same time as your business case. Take your colleagues on that journey, not just your senior colleagues, but every colleague, because it's changing for them all. Um, and training them and working with them all sort of goes hand in hand as well.
3: Yeah, and I think going back to the the case for the organisation, it's what's what's the real ambition for the organisation, isn't it? And the agenda for the patients, for the population and then you look at where digital and where EPRs can fit in, there is always the risk that you're going with, we're going to do an EPR, and then you're working backwards to build the case rather than actually what's the organizational's requirement, and then you look at what are the digital options to to meet that. And as you say, Jackie, that's it's everybody. Once yeah. you get into an organization-wide EPR, it will touch on everybody's lives in that organization so it's it's probably one of the biggest change programs any organization will go through but
2: do you know when you say about change there i do think you know us in who work in projects and programs and pmo we're used to it um but if you've got somebody who's used the same system for the last five years um they're going to be resistant because they're not going to understand the clarity of it all why are we changing does it matter this one works it's not broken don't fix it Um, but it's improving that it's improving the way we see Um, you know when you look at anesthetic charts coming through now there was a time when you used to have them on paper now you can see them digitally Um, and, and it's just all of that improvement but I think unless we're clear about why we want to do an EPR from the get-go not reversing it so we want to do an EPR let's work out the business case it's about working the business case forward and like um, Charlotte said you know you're on a journey It's, it's 10 years halfway through planning this EPR you're into the next one and you're optimizing it and you're improving it again you don't stop just because you've done this one and it's the same with the the colleagues that you take with you you Your PMO team will continually be doing this sort of activity, but colleagues within the trust are going to have change fatigue. They're not going to want to do the next one. But actually, you're on that treadmill now. You've got to keep going because you've got to keep improving it. And and I think you're right, Jackie, in terms of talking around the benefit side of it as well, because,
1: you know, a lot of, and Jason, you speak to the the business case, and, you know, that is obviously the first point. You, You must get your business case done because it's about securing funding. But ultimately, once that funding's secured, that's just day one, as we've said. And the journey of the benefits for the the users and whether they're clinical people, non-clinical, trust boards, etc. They need to see, you know, remember that why we're doing this. And it's not about the pounds ultimately, it's about the end user and the patient experience. And as long as you've got the right business, sorry, benefits messages going right through the deployment, everybody can sit back and remind themselves why we're doing this. So it's to basically be more efficient so that the patients have better care. And I think as long as that message is portrayed all the time, then then it it helps keep that momentum up and stop that change fatigue, as you talk about Jackie. But quite rightly, it's not a day one, or day 100. a day one hundred. It's a many years forward approach to maintain it.
3: Yeah, and the, I I think the benefits are key there, Charlotte. That it can take time to deliver those benefits and really see the payback for the the organisation. I think too often. Uh, the business cases will tell you up until the point you get the system live, and then forget. There's another three, five, ten years after that, as Jackie was talking about. So it's a, it's a long-term investment, and the organisation's got to to be ready for that, and uh, not just stop when you go live, hand over the keys, and say, there you go. It's yeah another two or three years of good hard work to to ensure those uh the processes are embedded and you're really getting the benefits for the organization for the staff and ultimately for the patients
0: definitely i think as you say the full um the process of it there's a lot before to it there's a lot after it i think that could lead quite nicely to understand in a way maybe a side people don't think about as they're going into it but how do we approach the market maybe a point to come to yourself with there, fair
1: charlotte sure you know from, from supplier side, there's a lot of activity um, in that pre-market engagement. And I think going back to Jason saying around frontline digitization, there is a drive for for the trust to do a lot more due diligence. And I think that comes in, in both ways. We spoke about this another day was that, you know, it's important that it's a two-way process. Um, it's a long-term commitment, as we've already said, but making sure that you... From a from a trust perspective, because we we see a lot of it is is them being prepared, as as Jason and Jackie have both said, um, and knowing uh, being making sure that you can get from the different you know engage with as many as many different suppliers as you can, because it is it's it's not necessarily a product you're working with, it's people, and and ultimately as 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 we've said before that this is a is digitally led, it's a digital system. But ultimately, it's the humans that are going to make the difference. They're the ones that are going to choose the right system, do the right scope, do the project planning, having all that it's driven by humans and, and making sure that you make that decision as well as not just a system-based decision, but it's a partnership-based decision as well, I think is key. And, and I think this, the way we have the uh, the multiple pre-market engagement sessions now um, allows for that for for both the suppliers and for the trusts. Um, and I think it helps. There's a lot. There's also, you know, it, it's given you that ability to understand, well, we thought this was a good idea, but having spoke to many, and then and, and trust as well. And I think that's a, what is great now with the amount of funding that's out there. It gives the trust the ability to speak to those that have gone through it, knowledge sharing, um, lessons learned. Give, and, and I think, you know, Jason and Jackie have both had that experience to speak to the fact that it's, it's so important to, be able to look to those that have gone through it already to help aid your decision rather than feeling like you're going at it alone, which absolutely isn't the case.
2: It, that's really interesting. I think where Jason and I in the consultancy arena um, benefit now is we we've worked with many systems, many partners. and I think when you go to work every day and you see Joe and Jenny blogs at side of you, you're almost seeing that with your partnerships as well, with your EPR providers, because they are there for the long term. Um, But it was interesting, because I was on a call earlier today um, and a colleague was talking about the fact that they've not done anything to do with um, reducing their paper within the organisation. And quite off the cuff, it was interesting that I was able to say, well, another trust has done the same as you, why don't we join you together? Um, and so it is doing that collaborator- collaboration of why have you chosen to do do it the way you did it? Not only are you choosing your EPR, but you're choosing how you digitize other systems as well. How how have you integrated this? How have you, you know, reduced the amount of EPRs? You might have an ophthalmology one, a, a maternity one, uh, you know, an acute one, Um And we've got all of that in the marketplace, but how do we stitch them all together? And it's that word of mouth where you've got similar trusts doing similar activities, whereas years gone by, they would have gone it alone and struggled. Um, And equally, I think it's the same with your provider as well. You know, in the past, it was your provider is the arm's length. Now they're almost sat at the side of you, you know, and they bring you your coffee in the morning, I would hope um and so um you do have that relationship where you can say well we went down that path it didn't work how do we change it and then your provider can say well this trust or that trust did it this way Uh, and they can put you together no different than the likes of jason and i you know so you've got all of that going on now in the uk
3: yeah and i think the pre-market engagement charlotte that you mentioned is that's a, a really useful time um trusts other organisations should should make use of that particular time before you get into the the formal procurement, which gets very rules based. It's a chance to get out, talk to to other providers, as Jackie was talking about there. Talk to uh, the suppliers, as you say, Charlotte. Understand the market, understand the suppliers, understand the products, and it's it's also a chance for organisations to to sell themselves to suppliers, isn't it? Yeah, I could give the the suppliers faith that this is a a good customer to come and work with because, uh, yeah, I'm sure some organizations will be uh, perhaps surprised as they come out to market that they'll see suppliers not bidding for their contract because, uh, Charlotte, you've (laughs) are lots of uh, uh, opportunities out there, aren't there? But you're not going to go for absolutely everyone.
1: No absolutely it is a two-way process it's not just it's not just the trust choosing the suppliers you know and I hope that other suppliers are in the same position that they they treat that pre-market engagement side for them as well Um, and you're you're right that you hope that the the trusts are utilising that as much as they can because sometimes there can be mixed messages as soon as any kind of mark the word the word market is used that oh no we have to stick to the rules we can't speak but you know the the freedom is there and um, you know they are supported by frameworks or, or other external bodies and consultancies Um. but yeah let, let's use that time for both parties to really engage with each other and you know work out the art of the possible where, where it is possible but bringing in you know everybody you know we speak to we speak to trusts, and we'll always say, you know, whoever whomever you choose, we will advise. Um, do your homework, be prepared as well. That's you know something as you know because once the official road starts, once the ITT is released, that's it. It's all systems go. It's deadline to deadline to deadline. So you really should, as a supplier side and a trust side, know what's coming from the submissions rather than before. You didn't know who was necessarily going to be involved, what it would look like. Everybody's had that opportunity to try and test it out, so the deadlines should then be met because we're all on the same page. And um, so yeah, we, you know, I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure all suppliers welcome this opportunity, um, and, and they are more prepared once once it becomes more formal and the dialogue has to stop until um, the next stage is reached.
3: Yeah, I think the key word in there is engagement, isn't it? It's uh... It's a two-way conversation between uh, the purchaser and the potential suppliers. Um, so, yeah, as a supplier, um, you'll have lots of questions for the trust and uh, uh, the organization's not going into it thinking it's all about getting information from the suppliers. It's definitely that two-way conversation.
1: Yeah, and again, it's making sure going back to the you know the different stakeholders, it's making sure trust side they've got everybody who is key in their decision making to be a part of that process um, and and you know we we see and, and Jason you will have seen first hand I'm sure Jackie you the number of people now we can have the virtual meetings it, it makes it more accessible for people um, you know and if it's not you're not there in person it's recordable so ideally everybody can see with their own eyes and feel a part of that process and, and again you know from from experience um. People want to feel a part of the decision making, whether whether what they actually want become goes to fruition. But at least they, if they know they're a part of it, they're more likely to to engage going forward and and really push that push that deployment from their perspective. I think that's key, making making sure the right people are involved in the at the right times.
2: I do, I, I'm going to come in with a challenge there. So I'm like the host Char- Carrigan. I <laughs> apologize. Um, because for me. You know, you're a market player as well as the EPR colleagues. And I I said this when we were talking last week, because the amount of trusts I see that are um, underperforming in terms of the rollout of an EPR, A, because um, they're not working well with the supplier, they've not got that honest dialogue, and B, they've not got the right staff. You know, in the interim market, I I see many, many times um, whereby... People have joined the interim market and said that they've delivered an EPR, or you know, they've done business change, they've done business analysis, they've done all sorts within the EPR world, and it comes, it comes out that you know, their talk is better than their actions, unfortunately. And I think the thing for me is working with uh, an EPR provider; they should be able to guide us as well of what the optimum team looks like, because you know, you've got acute trust small and large across the UK you don't necessarily need an army of staff in some areas but in some trusts you do um, working with you know colleagues like yourself which I've worked with many many times and I'm fortunate enough to be able to say to you the honest of what I need the, you know um, and there are people out there that I would work with time and time again and you know this Um, but I think when you write that business case understanding the team you need is a key one and keeping them as well because you don't want them two months before gold live disappearing or you know your director of finance saying money's run out you need to keep them for the long haul and you you've got to keep them into stabilization as well and if you look at you know Jason and I are working at the minute, and we work together on not just the stabilization, but the optimization and the journey that we can put a red ribbon round and leave behind once we're gone. Um and that's that's the ideal journey that you want to be on is whereby your team that you're working with not only know the here and now and the today, but they're planning for your tomorrows as well because we want to leave you with that journey. We want to leave you know, colleagues like Charlotte with a good understanding that we've left the trust knowing what's next. And, and I think, you know, we've spoke about it, Carrigan, in terms of the interim market, you know, you understand now the type of criteria of people we need and the calibre. Yeah. And what does it mean to be a change manager? What does it mean to be a business analyst? What's the job entailing? What's a cutover manager? That's the latest one, isn't it? <laughs> um, And so, you know, I think that there's... Jason and I do very similar roles. And so there's a triangle here, isn't there? There's the there's the EPR provider with the vendors and getting that collaboration going. And there's also making sure that we've got the right people in place as well. Um, and not all people know how to write the right business case for the staffing or the right business case for the type of product that they want as well, which suits the business needs. And it's working in that triangle that gets you to the better place.
3: Yeah, and I think... Um as we were talking earlier about learn from other people because other people have been through it and learned some good things and had some challenges uh along the way um there is obviously the the national support and uh well all of us on the call i'm sure work very closely with our nhs england colleagues and they've got some good experience and good advice and um, access to to some good people that uh, will support and challenge in in equal measure which is uh uh yeah very helpful from them um but i uh, would we, we talked about the year of the the epr um but as you were talking there jackie i was thinking you know an epr is not for christmas it's for life um so yeah it's that that long-term planning how are you going to support this once once it's in have you got the right people to do the deployment but yeah make sure they don't uh leave you uh and uh, you haven't got the skills capacity capability left behind to to keep this going and make it a real success,
1: yeah, and I think coming in from the from the supplier side is it is absolutely key to make sure that the skills are transferred and whilst there are there is an absolute need for an interim team of staff because you know that's when you ramp up your your deployment staff, but once as you say that that team of people walk away from a supplier and from the interim side you want then the trust to be self-sustainable where possible so that they can they they can then run their own system in terms of in in the background whilst bringing in suppliers where necessary for additional optimization rather than day-to-day how do we make tweaks and adjustments that should be you should trust should be self-sufficient in that respect and, and then only really need their supplier when there's new updates there's new functionality there's Further optimization that can be made, or you know, where you've pushed something out of scope to maintain that, um, it, it, it's it's just making sure that you know everybody walks away. And then what do you do? And and the reliance is then on the supply because that's not right for you know for the trusts at all. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Charlotte. I think um, as we were speaking
0: previously, we wanted to kind of have this kind of podcast to provide an insight. And then we've spoken a lot about being prepared it's it's as you say jason it's not for christmas it's for life um if this is to help provide an insight how how do you prepare so we've gone through the business case how do we know we're getting the right staffing keeping the communication Um, say we're going now approaching the deployment what what is our best next steps what's the full commitment to this life cycle
2: i think if i just jump in there um keeping the staffing i think is is understanding that not everybody has delivered an EPR in, in, in the UK. Um, so therefore you've got limited, um, staff out there who've gone, done a good EPR deployment, especially in the interim market or even in the substantive market. Um, so understanding that I think is, is key. So when you go to meet your team and all the rest of it, there is an element of the likes of Jason and I are going to be teaching guys out there and and girls out there um, how to implement for the first time, um, learn the product. Because as as program managers, project managers, whatever, we don't come with a pre-build. I've done an EPR before. You may have done um, projects, digital projects, but not all of them are, you know, and we've got different market players uh, for EPRs, so not it's not a one-stop shop of delivering, you know, your Meditex, your Cernas, your Epics, etc. Um, but I think it's about working with your SMEs as well, so it's about listening to them. What is it they need out of the digital system? Because it's not about a pre, pre-built package that can deliver a utopia It's about understanding for a clinician or a nurse or an AHP, how does the system work for them? And it's listening to them. So we always say we're not doing digital packages to them. We're doing it with them. So listening to them, the clinical documentation, specialty packages, et cetera. How do we get that right? Um, But I think retaining the staff, it's about them understanding the journey as well. So if they think that this is a three-month contract when actually it's a two-year contract, you know, be realistic about that because there's no EPR I know that can be delivered in three months. If there is, I I want in on that one. That's easy. Um, But it it isn't. They, They are longevity. So your team need to know that. And when they come to work as part of the team, the governance structure that you put together, that means you your team all work together. So I always have daily stand-ups with the team at 8am, whether I'm there or not, they all meet and they share best practice. And it's okay to not get it right because we're a team, we'll work to getting it right together. And then things will be, what did we hear the other day? Um, whack-a-mole. You know, you get hot topics and you have to keep battering them down. Um, and it's, it's about just just knowing that everything will be a hot topic at some point because it's not always plain sailing. re your projects, you know, understanding the changing needs, understanding the as is in the two B modeling. And then I also heard about the um the real to the to the new or something. I can't remember what it was. Somebody said it to me today. So the as is and the two B modeling. It's, you know, what are you doing today? Or what do you want to do tomorrow? That's your vision. Don't have a vision of just tomorrow i have a vision of next week six months a year you know what do you want to be doing in two years when you go live and that's the vision not i just want to get through this week so uh it's okay to not get it right the first time just don't set your stall out too soon as well you know i think quite quite a few trusts will set the stall out to go we've got an ambition to go live as quick as possible it's not a it's not a race. It, it's just you get it right. It's patient safety when all's said and done. And I think
1: I think on that as well, Jackie, is that is as you say, you doesn't have to be right first time. Is not everything has to be perfect on go live either. There are not not so much perfect. You need there's a minimum that you need to go live with. Um, but if there's if there's items that you can take out of scope, which allows you to go live on time, which aren't huge to pick up after. But it means that you keep everybody the momentum going of the project. You keep the the stakeholders, the end users on board because you're on track, but leave some other areas out. And, you know, it, it's around builds as well is, you know, we speak to, you know, build sprints and your final build for go live. You need to change that from final build for go live. Oh yeah, sorry, from final build to this is our build for go live. But um it doesn't it we can still you know, move that build on and uh, make necessary adjustments.
3: Yeah, and I think around building the team, I mean, the the ideal for me uh, in the past when it's been all about physical location is to walk into an EPR programme room and you've got trust staff, you've got digital, non-digital, clinical, non-clinical, supplier, trust, external, NHSE assurance, and you, walk, and you don't know who's who because they're all in there and working together as a, a team. Um, and there are some advantages and disadvantages in the world where we uh, do that more virtually these days, the accessibility of people, but not necessarily uh, um, getting to build that team feeling that you can do by having people on site. But it's, it's recognising everybody's contribution and uh, having the equality of that and, and learning Together as, as you go, as Jackie said, often it will be a, a new system going in or a new part of a system, so everybody's learning about that, how it interacts with that organization. Um, so there's something for everybody to to learn in that process. Um, and uh, Jackie, we've been talking today, haven't we, about uh, getting people on site when we can, uh, getting, getting to be a, a bit more social, a bit more human a bit more real more 3d rather than just the 2d screen meetings uh, every day so and um yeah well you can't get everybody on site just plan that in every now and again and uh, get those people together and uh yeah make sure you all those various team members do get a chance to to meet up and um build that team and build that knowledge together
2: and do you know it was interesting because i was on that call earlier today and and they were saying about this this Trust I was talking to about having a lot of projects that they needed to work through, but there's not the staff in the market um, because the best ones all work in London. I was like, excuse me, I'm a nothing girl. Um, But, you know, we have a team at the minute that are stretched nationally. And the reason that we built that team nationally is because we went out and got, you know, good people um and we've continued to do that we do draw on them to come to sites it doesn't have to be every day every week um but you know you can mix and diversify your team by you know going for people further ad- ad- adrift at the minute and in terms of geographically from your trust you don't have to have people on sites and when we do come together it's meaningful because the day long events you get a lot out of it you work with you you your supplier as well, and because people travel far and wide, um, it does become an energy in the room as well, because you you're maximising the time that you are together, whether that be for a day or two days every you know couple of months or whatever. Um, but I do think that there is there is a benefit to being virtual at times, um, in the sense that you can get people far and wide, um, and you don't have to be sat in that rush hour traffic anymore. Um, so I would say not, London's not got all the best people, that's for sure.
3: I've got them. I, I think I definitely agree with that, uh, Jackie. And um, and I think you would, with Charlotte and Charlotte, particularly your SMEs that uh, are out in the, in the States, having access to uh, people from outside of the, the UK uh, more easily has been a big boon of uh, moving into the virtual world over the last few years.
1: Absolutely, and you know, and it's it's just that transition of time zones, isn't it? More than anything, but everybody's happy to support because virtually is if it, if something needs doing, it gets done straight away, doesn't it? And and I think you're right, Jackie, in terms of that when people do get together, it's almost like you get a bit giddy because it's that human interaction. But as you say, and and you know, meaningful is one of my buzzwords at the moment is making sure that things happen in a meaningful way, and and. You know, not meeting for meeting's sake as well. So I think getting people together and a full day, you get through a hell of a lot more than you would if it was just an hour here and there um, that you're meeting. So yeah, and and again, from from a supplier side, that ability to use the network of the UK and beyond, the it's the right people at the right time isn't it um, and you know the UK is a lot smaller compared to other parts of the world so we should be able to um, manoeuvre, you know be mobile enough in within the UK to support where necessary on-site visits um, and, and other situations. Thank you so much and um, I think what also
0: would be good to hear your thoughts on is obviously a bit that we've touched upon as well is that Let's say, obviously, we've mentioned you get interims in, and and you go, you don't just wait to the go live date. You've got to focus on the aftermath of it, and obviously, you sometimes get, as you say, there's there's people who put blockers to that that we go for the go live, and sometimes they want to lose certain members of the team. What's the importance of keeping that communication, keeping the right people, um, after that go live to make sure, obviously, that it continues to be successful?
3: Um, I think one one of the starting points is, uh, you, I was talking about having that program team so you've got your your staff who are going to be there for the the lifetime in the epr need to be embedded in there need to be leading jackie talks about your smes whether they're your clinical or digital smes that they're embedded they're leading and then we'll take this on it's about the uh yeah the more fixed term program team supporting them if you drop a program team in from outside and they lead on it then you leave the organisation behind without that uh, what did you say, Jackie, without the red ribbon? Uh it, On there that yeah, you know, the organisation is ready to, to carry on. So it's it's really got to be the organisation leading, supported by uh an interim team rather than the other way around. That's that's where the failures come when say you hand over the keys, it's gone live, you walk out the door. Uh, and the organization isn't ready to take that on.
1: but I think it it's about that integration between the the as you say the 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 substantive roles and the interim roles so that you generate there's no them and us it's having that one team and I think if people have that one team mindset, they want to stay you know they want to make sure that their peers who are in it for the longer term they're going to be. That they're going to be all right and making sure and th- and then that's your part to play isn't it on the long-term future you you leave a legacy but you see it right through to the end and I think by having that integration together and and having that one team approach I mean I see it outside of of this space um, from from personal experience that if you if you your contractors interim people feel feel as, as much of it as a permanent as possible then they they stay um, and, and and don't jump from contract to contract and I think that's what we all want what we're talking about in this space is to maintain those people right the way through I think you
2: know we we've begun using a lot of language like implementation stabilization and optimization I think the, the bit that we need to focus on now is not just the implementation it is stabilizing it you know you your substantive staff they've got enough with keeping the lights on we know that when we go into cutover and we want to stabilise the system so that, you know, we can bring this, bring the, the outpatients and the electives activity back up. We do that in a steady state, knowing that our staff, uh, our teams, sorry, both interim and BAU can actually keep in their lanes and make sure that they keep their eye on the ball. So if I've got somebody who's working with clinical documentation and it doesn't go right on day one, they're there because they've worked it through for the last two years. They fully understand it. Can they get us through any problems that we're seeing? You know, I've been interim now for, yeah, I am 20 years and I would say that is in a select few roles because I've stayed there and I've worked with the trust and I've never been treated as anything other than a colleague, never been treated as a contractor, which I'm pleased to say um, but my passion is for what I do because our reputations are on the line as well. Because, you know, go back to what I said at the beginning of the call, there's a lot of people out there can claim to deliver these digital programs. Um, and, you know, Jason and I are both, you know, well versed in going in and re- doing rescue packages. Um, purely because you know it goes does go wrong on on go live and that's because you've not tested it you've not you know broken it you've not rebuilt it you've not got your epr colleagues to do the same you've not you've not stressed that system and your organization enough pre-go live to say we know we're going to go live and it's going to falter a little bit we accept that but you don't want it falling off a cliff edge the problem being is some of our colleagues in the interim world have done that and then they've gone off to do something else you know, and that's where we come in. Um, but I would say, you know, we've talked about keeping the team as a team. There's many ways to do that. And it's about integrating your teams as well. You know, we, we've we we've got a team at the minute of, of mixed, you know, BAU substantive staff. We've got our third party um, vendors and we've got interims as well. Um, and they've been together over a year now. And I would say it's just an EPR team. You know, and that's all it needs to be.
3: Yeah, one of, uh, a personal bugbear of of mine when I've worked with teams in the past is somebody will say, the trust needs to make a decision or the trust needs to do this. And taking Jackie's pie and Charlotte's pie, no, it's we need a decision. We need to support that decision being made. It, you know, it's, there isn't this mythical being called the trust somewhere. There's somebody in there that's going <laughs> to make that decision it's how the the permanent staff the users the supplier the program team come together to to facilitate those things happening and if you get that if you get that we need to do something we are going to do something then then you're on to a good thing you'll some success out of that
1: and ultimately it's all coming from the same budget part isn't it the the whole team whether no matter what what they who they work for or 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 what interim substantive this it's still the project budget that's paying for it so i think understanding that helps as well thank you charlotte i think um
0: as we're coming to a close we've we've looked at the the before the, the drawing and and the continuously after i think as we've said The year of the EPR there's there's a lot going on. Um, there's people coming from upgrades. There's people looking at it from a new element, and and people wondering how do you prepare for such a big kind of um thing that you're going to go towards. From each of you, I think it'd be really good to hear what's the best advice you can give from your experience, whether it's been people looking into a new one, the draw and the after. For anyone that's kind of going to be taking something from this, what would be your biggest advice to those that are obviously about to start or currently in that journey of their EPR? I
2: think from a trust point of view, it's what is it you want to change? You know, don't think I want an EPR. Um, you might have the best of breed already in the system. You know, you don't want to retrograde step, uh, and that. And sometimes people see, in my opinion, anyway, uh, an EPR as a utopia. Um, and it can be as as the EPRs improve, vastly improve. Um, I would say, understand the the clinical needs that you need to change about bringing the the medical records and the pathways for the patients together. that's that's the key thing is how it talks to e- you know each other. So we still have EPRs now and we still interface with third-party systems, you know, what's the adaptability of all of that, you know, you're not going to get rid of all of your legacy systems on day one, and don't think for one minute you can do either, because they they do have a role to play, um, bringing your clinical teams, the amount of uh, trusts that have skeleton clinical colleagues alongside of the EPRs is, is more often, more common than you think, um, but I think you need a good clinical team around you to be able to um, know that it's their system, you know, in digital, we'll, we'll come and go once we've done, we're off to do the next thing. Does it work for you as a clinician, you know, as a, as a patient carer? Um, Because if you can't, you know, do a clinical documentation quicker than you do it today, what, what was the benefit? Why, why did you move to that system? You know, has it improved life for you? You know, the amount of clinicians who switch off because the system is worse than they had previously um, or it takes longer to do anything, you know, and that should never be the case because you should be listening to them and improving it. And then as, as you move into it, it's about delivering it with them, not to them, not for them, but it's with them. They need to play that party role as well because if they don't, they'll feel as though you've done it to them. And for those who are not good in change management, that frustration that you know anger that you've changed the system that was working will come to the forefront so they'll not want to play with it they'll not want to use it um you know doing patient journeys letting people be involved in and how the system is is working throughout the life cycle of that epr build is your, is your best friend as well and then as you move into implementation you know take them on the journey with you the training you know understand the signs behind how how much you need to train, who do you need to train and what do you need to train them in and get them involved in it. Um, but I think I go back to what I said about stabilisation as well is it's not just, you know, a month before go live, we've done it, we've built it, the project team can disappear and we'll just cut over. You know, stabilise that go live well into, you know, two, three, four, six months after you've, you've cut over because that's where some of the trickies and the nuances come in um and then you you know your program team will leave your business as usual team with the tools they need to take it forward for the next tranche of work
3: you covered a lot of ground there jackie
2: <laughs> i did <laughs> i did <laughs> I'll, so uh, it job. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: i think uh, just picking up a couple of themes um i think this i reflecting on what Jackie said. be clear about your ambitions not about the EPR. understand your ambitions and then where the EPR fits Look for your champions at the board level, in your clinical teams, in your operational teams, and keep them close to you. Keep, keep working with them because, they, as Jackie said, particularly with the clinicians and the operational use, they have to live with this. Um, they're the ones that have to, to use that. Um, and then I think recognise that those things will, will change over time, over a lifetime of a, an EPR. I, you know, one Trust is sort of working with champions, to build the case and move that forward and they're no longer there. So they, they've moved on. So don't worry about that. Just keep looking at who your your champions are. Keep checking back against those ambitions and uh, the potential benefits and, and start to build your your core team. You know, who, who are the people that are going to be close to this and really drive it forwards and then as you need them, you'll bring in other people. You'll bring in the technical specialists. You'll bring in the technical specialists and the, the team will shrink and grow as you go through the the life cycle um but yeah keep keep that core cool team ticking over and you'll yeah you'll have that solid foundation
1: i think advice from my side you know we, we've talked about partnership and, and having one team i think really is is when you're in this pre-market engagement and the, the procurement side of it look for that partner that you can see yourselves working with in the long run but making sure once you've made that decision is keep each other open open and honest keep each other accountable because as Jackie said before the program team is is made up of supplier trust interim you know everybody's on the same everyone wants the same outcome uh, and you know work together for it So be you know be open be honest and you know it it gets you know it's easier to get to the to the end goal together um and, and not a them and us approach thank you so much really appreciate that from all of you um and
0: as we said, exactly what we wanted, hugely insightful. Um, so I just wanted to take one last chance just to see if anyone had any final points. I think, as you said, Jason, earlier, we've we've covered a lot of ground, which is obviously absolutely our aim. Um, but just that final opportunity just to see if there is anything else anyone wanted to say at all on the year of the EPR.
3: Well, go for it and enjoy it. It, it will be tough, but uh, yeah, remember what you're aiming for.
0: Yeah, agreed. Amazing thank you so much I think that's a lovely place to end on there Jason so I just want to say thank you once again to each of you and Jackie, Jason and Charlotte for being involved in today's podcast Um, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast you can drop me a message too. I'm Carrigan Thompson you can find me on LinkedIn alongside my contact details or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thank you again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.